I'm Andrew Zaki. This is the From the Pews podcast, where we have conversations about truth, culture, love, and power from a Christian perspective. My guest is Subdeacon Daniel Kakish, a Syriac Orthodox Christian. Daniel earned his Master's in History at San Diego State University and Master's in Theological Studies at Agora University. Daniel is the guy when it comes to church history. In this episode, Daniel will walk us through the events that led to the first major schism in the church at the Council of Chalcedon. Deacon Daniel, thanks so much for joining me, brother. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. But uh, you've kind of become a sort of like a champion of uh, for Oriental Orthodox uh, online. I don't know if you're aware of that or I'm not. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, at least at least among my friends, you are. Um, I came across your content like maybe like three months ago after being kind of uh just tired of listening to the same old like eastern orthodox catholic content that just dominates youtube and and podcasts um and i'd always get it i'd always somehow get into conversations with friends like man where where's our like person who can like speak our point of view or like maybe even like rebut some of these people bashing us here instead of us just saying oh well uh, maybe they're right. I don't know. Um, and I think you and your work kind of kind of filled that void for me, at least. And so I really admire it. But how did you get started in, in, in that whole online uh, world? And uh, what's your purpose behind it? Sure. So uh, the reason in theology um, owner, Michael Lofton, he was looking for uh, an OO guy, like a token OO guy. And <clears throat> my friend, Elijah Yassi, Syriac Catholic, uh, he, his name is Ihab. He, he reached out to me. I've known him for years, like in real life. He used to live here in San Diego. And um, we used to talk all the time. Like he introduced me to the church fathers. This is like, I don't know, 13 years ago or something, 12 years ago. And so... Um, we stayed in touch till now. We're close. Mm-hmm. So he told Michael Lofton he was uh, he used to he used to watch that channel before. So he's he told Michael Lofton, um, "Hey, like I know this OO guy. He's my friend, whatever." And then uh, he had me on the first show. It was me, Lofton, and Craig, and I was giving this kind of intro on OO. They were asking me questions, and we were talking about it. And then from there. <clears throat> um, uh, I was like on a bunch of roundtables on different topics like atonement or purification after death, whatever. 
you know, random mm -hmm. topic. Um, and then when Craig left Reason and Theology, I then was going on both of those channels. And it was kind of more people were seeing me because of that. And I think my last episode on Reason and Theology was a debate. Uh, it was me and Eric Ibarra, a good friend of mine, uh, Ihab and Lofton about about Ephesus 1. That was the last show I did on that channel. Um, yeah, that's how. For for people who don't know, Reason and Theology is like a Catholic uh, YouTube channel, community. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're like... Uh, they wouldn't say they're liberal. Uh, they would say probably moderate. Uh, but... The conservative Catholics are not the biggest fans. Um, that's why, like, my friend Ihab or Eric Ibarra, mm -hmm. William Albrecht, all the guys I used to do the, the shows with on there, yeah. none of them go on that channels. Okay. Yeah. And when you were starting to do all of this stuff, did you feel like a, a pressure, a burden? Uh, if I'm going to be the voice of, like, the OO point of view, I better, like, come prepared come with receipts <laughs> like how did you how did you approach that and and why didn't you shy away from it uh, so co coincidentally i had just come back i was i was at the monastery on the east coast for three months mm -hmm. i had just come back i was wearing my cassock everywhere <laughs> and that's when that started it started right when i had come back so i'm like oh perfect timing you know i just came back from the monastery i learned all this stuff yeah uh, yeah and i was reading books and whatever and i was like yeah why not nobody else is doing it let me get let me give oo some exposure yeah yeah so you took it as like uh this is perfect timing i'm ready for this yeah exactly um so at the at the monastery you were you were there studying and what was that what was that three-month monastery uh yeah so about? i went so in july july of 2018 uh, there was this uh, Syriac youth gathering, I think they call it, sick, mm -hmm. young adults. Um, in Jer the, the archdiocese on the East Coast, the church in Jersey, the cathedral, the community is, I think, bigger or, or was bigger, originally is bigger than it is on the West Coast. So that's kind of where everything happens. They have like more resources, whatever. Mm -hmm. We were there for the gathering and then I met... I met His Holiness the Patriarch Mara from the Second of Antioch. I met uh, the Archbishop of the the Eastern Archdiocese, uh, and uh, the Bishop. He told me he said, "Why don't you come? Why don't you study to be a priest or whatever?" First, he said, "Cool beard. Why don't you be a priest?" That's what <laughs> <he> said. <laughs> um, so, and we were talking and. And then we were like trying to figure things out, and he had proposed like uh, Vladimir's or whatever. And um, and then, like I came back, you know, after that that conference, or I came back here, and then I was talking to Abuna and Sayyidna, um, the priest and the bishop here. And the bishop was like, "Yeah, you know, you have my blessing. Go be a blessing for our church wherever you go." So I went back there. I was there for three months in the monastery before the semester started. So from September to December. 
at the monastery and I learned when I was there, I learned Syriac, I learned the, the uh, daily prayers, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then something happened, like I was back here for Christmas break. My dad got sick. Uh, and so I, Abuna, Abuna was like, Daniel, see if, if you can like study from here that you don't have to go back. And coincidentally, I had brought all my stuff with me anyway, because it, when I was going to go back, I was going to go back to New York, to Vlad's. I wasn't going to go back to Jersey or the monastery. Mm -hmm. So I called Sayyidna. I told him before he, you know, before he puts in the tuition, I called Sayyidna. I said, uh, you know, my dad's sick. Um, is there any way I could like study from here or whatever? He's like, Vlad's doesn't have that kind of situation. I called Sayyid, I talked to Sayyidina in California. I was like, I want to continue this, but from here. He's like, okay, yeah. You know, then the whole thing with Agora happened. And then, which to be honest, I preferred Agora over Vlad's anyway. So that that worked out. And I think from like going forward, the East Coast is sending their guys to, to Agora too instead of Vlad's. Mm. Um, so then... So then, yeah, so I, I started Agora under His Eminence Mar Ogin here in California. And just haven't looked back. Yeah. It doesn't seem like you're an overthinker. Like, uh, <laughs> opportunity arises. Do you get some guidance and you're just like, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but before before all of this, let's just take like 10 steps back. Mm. You're Syri Syriac Orthodox, but you weren't always. Um, you grew up in an evangelical home. Mm -hmm. um, both of your parents were Catholic, moved to the States and became evangelical, correct? Correct. And so you grew up in that environment and you've said that you were you were always like you were never a lukewarm Christian. You were always super active in, in your community, in your church um, until at some point uh during your, your 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 studies for your masters in history uh you got introduced to um some catholic folks and they kind of raised some questions and so talk me through that and and how that kind of became a, a turning point in your in your faith yeah so you know i was like you said i was studying history i was in the master's program at san diego state and um and I'm very, I'm very detailed with history, historical context. I like to think I am, and I like to think I'm not anachronistic. So, and it never occurred to me that the thing that was like most important in my life, so I thought my faith, I didn't study the history of. Like I just kind of took it and assumed that's how it was. Uh, it was Ihab Yassi, actually. He, he told me, he's like, okay, like we're talking about you know, religion or and stuff. And he goes, but the way, the way you're interpreting the scripture, that's not the historical way it was interpreted. And it never occurred to me. Like the idea never occurred to me. Like what, mm -hmm. what happened after, you know, the, the, the writers of scripture, after they were gone, what did the Christians say after that? What did they write? What was their opinions about things? It, I never thought about it. I didn't know. There were people. It's like as if the Bible fell out of the sky in Daniel's life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't think about, like, you know, original languages, Aramaic, mm -hmm. Greek, Hebrew, whatever. 
So then I got into it, and my hypothesis was, you know, there had to have been some corruption along the way, and that's why Protestants are right, so or evangelicals. So I, um, I, you know, I'm reading the first century, Ignatius, Didache, Clement, and all, right away, I'm like, I'm in trouble. This is different than what I believe immediately. Yeah. And so, and my hypothesis was that it was like, you know, the first century was evangelical, and then the centuries later, it corrupted along the way, and that never happened, mm -hmm. especially in the East. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Do you think if you if you weren't uh, studying history at that time and had that kind of uh, framework, that you would have gone down the same path? I don't think so, because... If you don't kind of, for me, the way I am, I have to care about something to kind of do that, to put in the work mm -hmm. for that. And it just so happened that God had mercy on me and and let me like history so that I could, yeah. I could look into that so that I could be a part of his church. But for people who, let's say, they're not so much into the humanities or whatever, they would have to shift their their. They'd have to like uh, find reasons to motivate themselves to do that. Yeah. Whereas for it's, me, it's like it shapes my worldview. It sounds so simple though when you you know when you when you talk about you know how you had these very basic questions that you never even thought about once you did a very preliminary review of the history. You were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> everything i kind of believe is wrong <laughs> why 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 if if it's that simple why isn't every evangelical who has a brain and and thinks about the topic i mean why why aren't they saying oops uh that's a great question and i'm still trying to figure out the answer mm -hmm. it, it just the fact that you need to go outside of the bible to know what the Bible is, that should be enough. That exactly. Be enough. Yeah. yeah. You, you need holy tradition right away. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard when you're invested in something 20 years, 30 years, you've been trying to convince people of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, wait, hold on. Maybe I was wrong this whole time. It, it's hard to kind of yeah. stop worshiping in front of a mirror. It's hard. Yeah. It becomes a part of your identity. Mm hmm. Yeah, I was in denial for two years. The first two years I was doing the research, I was in denial. And then eventually, I was like, if I love Jesus, and I know Jesus is giving me his body and blood somewhere on earth, then I have to go, mm -hmm. I have to, go to that place. So that was really like the, the breaking point is when I kind of was like, okay, I don't know about the rest of the stuff. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but mm -hmm. I know for sure that the Eucharist is real. So that was enough. Yeah. And it's been 10 years since you were chrismated? Yeah, that's true. 10 years. Wow. Okay, so and now now you're like uh, like I was saying earlier, now you're like uh, the champion uh, <laughs> for like the OO point of view on on this I know this yeah. early early Christian history and, and Chalcedon and all that stuff. So crazy how things come full circle. Um before we even get into the whole conversation, before we get into Chalcedon, before we get into um, all that stuff, um, should laymen like me, I guess you're, you're not really, a, you're, you're a deacon, right? You're so, ordained. 
subdeacon. Okay. How long until uh, we call you Abuna Daniel? Is there uh, a... Mar Ogin, he's been really supportive. He, he, mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad it's not in my hands or my timing. So yeah. I'm, it's whenever he decides. But he's he's excited about it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you'll have to let us know when that happens. I, I gotta go and attend. Um, so should Absolutely. layman should layman be having these discussions, these conversations about, you know, theology and like. <clears throat> controversial things regarding church history um, are, are these things that we should be engaging in or should we just kind of whatever you know wait for the you know our, our, our current fathers and teachers to shed light on it you know when they publish an article or put a post online uh, or yada yada so we should we should absolutely 100 percent because mm -hmm. you know we sh it's we should take ownership of the church it's our church um it's we're not just visitors there like we think of it like that's someone else's house i have to go and sit like on the couch i can't go and open their refrigerator <laughs> no that's your house you open the refrigerator you eat the food but yeah but um it should be in the guidelines of orthodoxy it should be in the guidelines of the church's hierarchy it's not in in rebellion or rivalry to that it should be in harmony with it um what does that I mean exactly blessing. i have a blessing from sayyidna i have mm. permission from sayyidna to do what i do um i do the bible studies on on thursdays at the parish yeah I don't do even if I'm gonna have like two friends over and talk about you know any like the Bible or whatever. I I'll call Abuna first and ask him, and mm. Abuna would tell me, yeah, you could do it. Um, uh, like for I, example, like this my this podcast. I don't I don't have anybody's blessing to do it. Um, so would that not, be a, yeah? No, it's fine because you're not yeah. you're not putting forth any kind of um, you're not trying to represent anything official. Right, or right. What we, what our view is, or what our belief is. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, what, what kind of things? Is there anything that you would say? Hey, just leave it to the theologians. Leave it to. I would tell or... certain certain individuals that I okay. know are putting out stuff that I would disagree with, and I'll tell them they should go. Okay. So it's more of a, a. Are you doing it not in rebellion? to the church the hierarchy and then two are you are you doing it in a sound manner like are you exactly. actually doing it correctly yeah okay um and do you get do you get pushback does anybody like hey daniel like you're kind of off on this maybe don't say that that's what our church believes or yada so, yada like how, i mean how do you handle that it's maybe you can count them on one hand but it's usually because they're not and and they would say this too. I'm not just saying it because I'm biased, but they'll tell you, um, Daniel's too orthodox, like it's too much. It's not like he needs to take it easy, kind of thing. Um, and what's an that, example of that? Uh, so an example of that would be, say, our views on abortion or contraception or uh, ecumenism, okay. um, things like this, where it's like okay. it's not the popular opinion to have on certain things but that's right. the official view 
of the church and mm-hmm. i'll just and you know they i have the reputation in in like in the community here that i would just be like the mailman or the delivery uh, the delivery man of what our tradition is I, it's not, i'm not giving you my opinion kind of thing i'm very objective about it and so i think that maybe rubs some people the wrong way because they're not taking it as like black and white they want this gray area or something. yeah okay and when you are delivering the mail so to speak whether that's in history theology on social topics etc <laughs> this is kind of a really important thing it's especially i think in the history context is yeah. what your sources are um my my sources like, like how like like for for any topic like i think with history it's kind of like history history i think is really unique because um it's it's a lot about what isn't what wasn't written right like so how do you know how do you know the sources you're relying on for let's just start with history because we're going to get into what led up to chalcedon what happened at chalcedon how do you know the sources that you're relying on uh, are are accurate, are reliable, and so what are what are the primary sources that you rely on for historically what happened, not only at those events, but also like contextually what was going on in that region in that time period, right? Um, and is there is there a controversy over the sources themselves or just the interpretation? So when I was doing my master's seminar seminar, uh, in for when I did it 10 years ago for history, they taught us how to do historical research for when we're going to do our thesis and whatever. And the same is the same method I'm using, which is you look at the primary sources, you look at the consensus of scholars on the topic, modern or not. um, And you look at um, what, what the variants are you look at who's in agree who's in agreement what kind of if there's anything kind of on the margins uh you take all of that into consideration i think so for example if we're reading chalcedon so then we can read the primary source the acts of chalcedon the the mm-hmm. entire council uh it's like to what two thousand three thousand pages something like that you read the whole council that's the primary source so you don't even need now um, analysis necessarily. Yeah. Uh, now, when you read it, and the translator, Father Richard Price, he translated it. So you read it into English. If you if you don't want to read it in Greek, there's footnotes, and he's. I would say, for a Catholic priest, he's as unbiased as you can be. For a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. And then you, the footnotes are there. You're reading the footnotes. He'll tell you, like, this thing, this part could have been tampered with here or whatever. And who, who's the, who's tampering? Whose acts is it that they, is the Coptic church, does the Coptic church have imperial power to tamper with the acts of Chalcedon? No. Is the Chalcedonians tampering with their own council? Because it's embarrassing. That's why. So if, if you are, if you're, kind of reading it you're being honest you know and then the the outside events that are happening within this historical context 
in my opinion, for someone to have like a well-rounded understanding of all mm -hmm. of this, you are reading those two because you're understanding it in the context in which it's happening. You're not just taking just Calcedon in a vacuum outside of its history. Yeah. When you look at those primary sources for that time period and kind of compare it to now, for example, if that council were to happen now with all our modern technology and all of this stuff, would yeah. it, wouldn't it be a lot easier to figure out what really happened? Like, obviously, everything would just be video, audio recorded, right? I was. So how how much how much is actually how much is how much you think is this is going to be a complete guess, but how much is lost because it just wasn't recorded? Like oh, how, much, sure. do not, how much do we not know? So with with Chalcedon, we're with Ephesus. Honestly, with Ephesus, we're a bit lucky. And then after, so from Ephesus on, the Roman Empire makes a conscious effort to take very very detailed account of all the stuff because it becomes imperial law. That's the reason, is that this council was not just a religious, you know, the definition of faith that Andrew and Daniel are going to talk about one day. This is the law of the land, like like a, a big Supreme Court case. You know, this is what it is. Right. So then from that point on, they were doing a very good job of, of taking the acts okay. down. But still, even with that, it's not going to be as efficient as if it was today. Of course, you're right. Yeah. But in your in your estimation, it's more than sufficient enough for us to draw conclusions from. Absolutely, because it's uh, it's backed up by the events surrounding it, the events afterwards, and um, like so. Later decisions are based on this, so you see what kind of the foundation okay. is, and then also the canonicity within the churches and the synaxariums, etc. So you kind of, it's this whole world mm -hmm. built on that. So that's really interesting. I didn't know that the councils you said from Ephesus on would become imperial law. So the ramifications are greater. Yeah, from yeah. From, yeah, okay. Nicaea, it was, but with Ephesus, they started to take, they started to record. Like they Got it. Down like okay. That. And when you say imperial law, meaning like this is, this is the faith, this is the expression of it, and... Anything what, that, what does that mean? It's, yeah. it's not so allowed. You, yeah, so you can't, for example, Ephesus happens. You have the 12 anathemas of Cyril. That becomes law. Nobody can go against it. That's it. End of story kind of thing. Or Chalcedon becomes law. That's why we were persecuted, because we went against Chalcedon. See, we went mm. against the law. Or the, the <clears> area <throat> we're going against Nicaea. You know. Is that a good or bad thing? I mean, it's neutral in the sense that we didn't have anything to do with it. That's what the emperor wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like we were making that on everybody. But I, I mean, in terms of how the councils were conducted, was that a good or bad thing? Because it had this extra... I mean, were yeah. they thinking about that? I mean, did that come into play? Like, hey, we absolutely. Need... They were very political. The emperor had a very prominent position in the, in the councils. We can't say that he didn't. Um, it's every side wanted their side to win, so that it becomes kind of the form of Christianity that everyone needed to conform to. Is that pure? No, it's not. 
I, I preferred the times before Christianity was legal. An example of where things could have been better. Sorry, Copts. Please forgive me. I don't mean anything bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, St. Cyril, St. Cyril, when he presided over Ephesus 1, he would have just waited one more week. John of Antioch would have arrived. Chalcedon would have never happened 20 years later. They would have squashed everything there at Ephesus. He didn't want to wait for John anymore because he was waiting already and John was already late. So he was like, let me just start. But if he would have waited, the other party would have been there. But, you know, God's sovereignty, I guess, he knows. Okay, well, you're assuming I know anything about what you're talking about. Uh, so. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Council of Ephesus, 431. Council of Ephesus, 431, St. Cyril of Alexandria, the Pope, Pope Corellus. He presided, yeah, I know that part, yeah. He presided okay. over Ephesus. Um, and the deal was John of Antioch, the Patriarch of Antioch, was Nestorius' friend. He was going to. He was supposed to go be there and co-present or like you know co-judge whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And but his party is the two nature party, and Cyril was the one nature party. Mm -hmm. So if both sides were going to be present, then they could have hashed it out. They could have talked about. It. Okay. So the guy was late. Cyril started the council. He didn't want to wait more. Okay, but you say. There would be no there would be no Chalcedon twenty years right. later. Meaning, you thought you think they would have resolved it in in the in the correct way? Yes, I think that because both sides would have been present: the two nature side, the one nature side. They could have talked about it. A decision could have been made. It could have been much more clear, much more explicit. Yeah. Even though, in my opinion, Ephesus one was already explicit. Like it straight up says, anyone who says there are two natures after the union is anathema mm -hmm. just straight up like that so yeah but at least the other side could have been there to say something and we could have addressed that too okay. so what ended up happening is because they were late and cyril had already excommunicated them all before they got there <clears throat> so then when they got there they had their own council in the same place at the same time but separate and they excommunicated cyril back and then this kind of animosity Mm. Even though it was low key, it stayed that way for the next twenty years, and then that's why Chalcedon happened. Got it. Is there any like historical like document or like why why didn't Cyril just wait a week? I don't understand. Because he was and, he was waiting already. He was late. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's not like he got a text message. I'll be there in a week. Like how, <laughs> how did it, how did it actually work? Like no, how did these councils work? Like. You have, you get a roster in advance of who's supposed to show up, and you have obviously. you have a roster of it's like who who the starting lineup is, and then anybody <laughs> else, anybody else like you know the 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 sixth man, the bench, like the twelfth, yeah. thirteenth guy. It, it could vary. It could you guy could make okay. it, not make it, but you kind of have like the main the, the okay. So let's let's let's. Uh do this for dummies like me so who were were those main players the starting people the same in the first three councils not the same persons but the, the same C's? like you know the yeah the same C's. yeah yeah they were i would uh, okay. rome alexandria antioch constantinople yeah 
Okay, so those three? Those three. Rome, so, Alexandria, Antioch. So, so the bishop of each of those definitely had to be there, and then everybody else was not gravy, but you know, we're not it's stopping. Like we're not stopping the whole show for them. Right, exactly. And and Rome was never Rome wasn't there in person. Rome would always send a representative or whatever because they were kind of far away from everyone. Geographic. Okay. Yeah. So who would who would decide on time and place? The emperor. And where was the emperor? Constantinople. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's. So let's. Uh. Let's just like go really, really macro real quick, and then we'll get into how we get right. to Chalcedon. So really macro, the Oriental Orthodox Church uh, ascribes to three ecumenical councils, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. Just, yeah. All right. Can you list those real quick? Uh, Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus. Okay. And then this... I think, well, I learned this kind of wrong to say the schism began with Chalcedon, but because there were other mini schisms with each kind of council, is that correct? Or right. maybe, okay, so, but the major schism happened with within the church at, Chal at Chalcedon, right? I would say so. That's the first major schism. The yeah. first major one, okay. So we have these first three councils. Everyone's basically on board. There's like maybe minor factions. Uh, schisms uh, after the third one, right? At Ephesus. So a lot of people think that, but it's a misconception. No. no. Okay, I'll explain that. With the the Church of the East, that's that's what you're referring to, right? Right, right, right yeah. The the Church of the East, um, they schismed in 484. So they schismed okay. much later. It was uh, over 50 years after Ephesus. So it's Chalcedon schism had already happened. Then those guys schismed much later. The, the the framework for their schism was there. Since 424, they kind of were setting themselves up to schism, but it didn't like actually happen until 484. Uh, if you want me to get into the details, I can, but I don't know. Okay. No, that, that's okay for now. Uh, All right. So, so everyone's pretty much unified after each of these first three councils. We're all on board. They become imperial law. Um, is it the same emperor during so Ephesus emperor? one, Ephesus one, at four thirty one, and then Ephesus two four forty nine are the same emperor? Okay, and who's the emperor in the other two, the first two councils? Um, I think Constantinople three eighty one. It's his grandfather, the Ephesus one, grand his grandfather, and then Nicaea. It's Constantine. Okay, yeah, and the Ephesus one is who? Theodosius. Theodosius. Okay. And throughout this whole time, the Roman Empire is, is Christian. And that's why this is important. And that's why these become, these are imperial, this is imperial law. What happened? Yeah. So Nicaea, when Nicaea happened, Christianity was tolerated. It wasn't the official religion, uh, but it was still imperial law. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so set the stage for us. Uh, what leads up to the council? What's happening that leads up to the council of Ephesus? Okay, so the the story starts actually in the mid-3rd century, so from like 260s. 
and then think about that. So if you're starting a story from 260s, you're talking about a council that happened in 431. That's almost 200 years. It's kind of been mm-hmm. building up to this. There was a patriarch of Antioch. His name was Paul. He believed uh, God the Word, the second person of the Trinity. He adopted Jesus in baptism. When Jesus, the son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, when he was baptized, God the Word, the second person of the Trinity, united to him. As if there's two he's and, and two him's. And then they got they were united into this kind of uh, personal union. You said them. this is Bishop Paul of Antioch? Yes. You believe this? Okay. 260 to 268. So Paul was excommunicated. He was deposed by his own synod of bishops in Antioch. They deposed him and put him on an Orthodox patriarch. Paul's nephew, his name is Lucian, Lucian of Antioch. Lucian was the teacher of Arius, who I'm sure you've heard of, and then mm-hmm. Theodore, Theodore of Tarsus, who we're going to kind of go on that line for this story. Theodore of Tarsus, he set up a school in Antioch. It became very famous. The school of Antioch, it was called. And um, uh, Theodore believed essentially what Paul believed, but instead of the, the adoption happening at baptism, it happened in the in the womb of the Virgin Mary at the moment of conception. Because that way, it could be kind of hidden into the Trinitarian you know, mm-hmm. uh, view. Um, and his greatest student uh, was Theodore of Mopsuestia. And by the way, John Chrysostom was a student of his too. But for somehow, he came, kind of came out of this clean. Uh, so Theodore of Mopsuestia, he, uh, he was very big. He was very important in in kind of the the Christian world at that time, his biblical commentaries, etc. He had many students, Nestorius being one of them, Theodoret of Cyrus being another, Ibasa Fidesa. He was kind of like the big teacher, the main teacher in that part of the world. In the was Syria. he just a teacher or, or was he a clergy? He was a bishop of Mops. Yeah, yeah okay. and, and he was a he was a teacher. And so this, all of this, this takes us from, we started off in 260, 268. Mm-hmm. Now we're all the way, now we're in the, the beginning of the fifth century. Throughout these names, we just listed very quickly. So we kind of went over really fast all to the time that we want to get at. Um, now, Theodore, uh, he was so popular that after the Council of Ephesus and after the formula of reunion, um, the formula of reunion is this is this kind of um, is the union between Alexandria and Antioch that's like is very it's a very delicate union. It's like they kind of know that they don't agree with each other, but they're just mm-hmm. signing it to not be in schism, kind of thing. It happened two years after Ephesus. So, and when that was all happening, John of Antioch said because Cyril's friends were telling Cyril, "Tell this guy." that he needs to anathematize Theodore. And John was like, I would rather burn in hell, and all of us in in that school would rather burn in hell than anathematize Theodore. It's never going to happen. So and even though Cyril wrote against Theodore, he wrote against Theodore. But So um, they didn't, did they not see that he was just teaching the same heresy that they 
excommunicated Paul of Antioch for? And, and did they not realize it, or did they, or did they realize it and just not care that he was being more slick with it? Well, in the, in their view, th we are the ones who are messing up Christologically. Like Cyril is messing up, not them. Okay. So, um, and the the evidence for this is that one of them, his name is Ibas, Ibas of Edessa. He writes a letter to the patriarch of the Church of the East of that time, mm -hmm. the Ishar. That's the one who I said he started off kind of from 424 on to set up the framework of that schism. He writes a, he writes a letter to him, Ibas, and he tells him, Cyril repented of the 12 anathemas he wrote. Uh, he repented of his Apollinarianism, and that's why we went back into communion with Cyril. So Ibas and the whole Antiochian school is understanding that Cyril and that view is heretical. Mm. And Cyril had to repent of that view in order for him to be reconciled to them. It's the opposite of reality, where yeah. it was Cyril was taking it, they're the ones repenting and coming into communion with him. Um, so for them, we're the ones who are denying the incarnation. It's like, it's, it's subjective in the sense that they're thinking the same thing about us we're thinking about them yeah but yeah they don't they don't think they're wrong about it. but but you said that they excommunicated and selected a new bishop for to replace paul of antioch right yes so so, so paul at that wrong. point at, paul was wrong but, to them because he was saying it was happening at baptism okay so it was just a timing thing for them yeah. that he was saying it at, at baptism but once once uh i forget who you said started preaching it at conception or theodore yeah theodore, theodore. Was and then theodore really kind of um he theodore was the one who put it all together he's the one okay. who kind of filled in all the gaps for them so it's more of an evolution of the initial heresy is that accurate like it just evolved and became more sophisticated i would say so like on the syriac list of anathemas we always list paul with them like he's in their category. He's not like a separate thing. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you set the stage that this this kind of heresy wasn't like some new heresy that came out of nowhere. Um, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, it has a heritage. Has a has like a you could follow the line down and okay. and. So then even, even afterwards, even after this kind of this 431 controversy with um, Nestorius and whatever, you know, 449 Ephesus, it's not over. Like Dioscoros tries to end the whole school. That's the whole point of Ephesus too. Dominus, mm -hmm. who's John's nephew, is now Patriarch of Antioch. Theodoret is doing the Nestorius stuff. Ibas is writing that letter. He's trying to, he's trying to still fight the same thing. And then in the eyes of Alexandria, Egypt, that's the Antiochian side wins at Chalcedon. Like that's what they were trying to do this whole time, kind of thing. Got it. Okay. So rewind again. So Nestorius is before Theodoret. They're they're peers. They're peers, okay. Yeah. Uh, but you had said Theodoret was getting gaining a lot of popularity at that time. Yeah, big time. Okay, and then John, you said of Antioch, was like we 
we're not we're not forsaking any of these guys who'd rather burn in hell exactly so that exactly. became very clear and so then it became like a watershed moment like uh we have to address this with the how does how does that get decided like we have to address this formally with a council now because these guys aren't repenting of this view it was always an emperor who called the council the the bishops the the patriarchs they weren't they didn't think of that as their first option so like for example with ephesus uh you know nestorius was patriarch of constantinople there's the famous homily where him like the visiting bishop or whatever says call mary the christokos not theotokos and then and then the the people of constantinople write to cyril cyril writes to nestorius he tells him i don't believe that you know you're a good guy i'm sure that's not true and Nestorius goes, no, that is true. And he, he talks to him in a very prideful way to Cyril. Cyril was very, like, nice, you know. People always flip that. They make Cyril look like the bad guy. I'm not sure why. Cyril was actually, his tone is very, very kind. And so um, he writes back to Nestorius. He tells him, what do you mean? Like, that's not what we received. We received this. And he tells him. And then Nestorius again writes back to him in very haughtily. And then, and then Cyril then kind of lays the smackdown in the third letter. <laughs> when they're writing these letters back and forth to each other, do you think they're intending it to be read by a wider audience, or is it actually a personal letter to this guy? Um, it's. I don't like, know. Is it, is it meant to be part of history from their point of view? Like, I need to lay this all out. Uh, There's nothing in great that detail. Yeah, you can't tell that from the letter. And I don't think it was meant to be that way. It, it turned out that way like in their lifetime. Yeah. Like Cyril's letters to Nestorius were read in the council. Yeah. So I, I, asked that, I asked that as a lawyer because I, you know, a lot of what I do is like write correspondence to the opposing side. But like yeah. most of the time it's just with aim for like this is going to be introduced as evidence later or the judge is going to see this or whatever. So I kind of I write it obviously differently. Yeah. So you think they had that in mind or I don't or they're just writing a letter to another bishop like hey I heard this and I think you know reconsider. I I don't think um Cyril was thinking that there was going to be a council. Mm -hmm. And that his letters would be read there. I think if anything he could have thought after he wrote the letters he could have thought you know what and I'm going to send these letters to these other bishops kind of thing but i don't think he okay. thought there's gonna be a council and they're gonna be so right. he's not like ceasing the emperor on it like yo here's a copy for <laughs> <No>. you too <laughs> no, the emperor was okay. on nestorius's side at the time okay but but Cyril, he he sent his letters to the pope of rome uh celestine and nestorius the, did too. the same letters they were sending to each other they sent to pope celestine yeah. Okay. Yeah, they did. And and but Cyril Why? was smart because they wanted like a tiebreaker. So Cyril had his letters interpreted uh, translated into Latin, which was very smart of him. Nestorius didn't. He sent his letters in Greek. So it took time for his letters to get translated when they got there. Cyril like did, did that already. So then Rome the Pope of Rome already had this uh, 
this clear understanding of what Cyril's saying versus Nestorius <laughs> who had to kind of figure it out, you know? Yeah. And so the, the Pope, he sided with Cyril and he told Nestorius, you have two weeks to recant or else we're going to excommunicate you. And then the emperor got involved on behalf of Nestorius and he said, hold on guys, we're going to do a council. No excommunicate. Well, yeah. The Pope, Pope Celestine, does he have, I mean, is that common? Does he have like, does, is Cyril writing to him and Nestorius writing to him, making it clear, hey, we want you to be a tiebreaker? And then, like, he's going to decide who gets excommunicated or, or he just overstepped there? What Cyril says to him is, I, I don't want to excommunicate him before I talk to you first. Mm -hmm. That's what Cyril says to Celestine. Okay. Yeah. But so... In Cyril's point of view, he could have, if he if he felt it was necessary, just excommunicated him. So what does that what does that mean exactly? Like, what does it mean to excommunicate somebody, and who has authority to do that? It's a great question. So excommunicate, excommunion versus communion, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in communion, that's the fullest form of unity. When you're an excommunicate, you're not in communion together. That means you don't receive the Eucharist with the other person in this case they live in different cities so what does it mean it's not like they're physically in the same place it means they're not commemorating each other in the liturgy so i'm not sure if in your i know every coptic parish is different whether they say a partic this particular prayer or not but the regular form is for you guys to to mention our patriarch in your liturgy and we yeah, mentioned we your patriarch yeah, mm -hmm. and we mentioned yours. So it's, so it's showing that we're in communion together. So they stopped commemorating. Like with, if someone would excommunicate someone, a bishop or a patriarch would excommunicate the other, they would stop commemorating them in the liturgy. If it's for a lay people, a lay person is different. It's just like you're just leave. You're not, you can't come anymore. You know, but for. for okay, the, so, so say he excommunicated Nestorius, meaning. He's not commemorating him in the liturgy anymore. What else? What else does it mean? Like, can Nestorius keep doing his thing as normal? And can so he? If, I mean, since we believe Cyril's side is the right side, is the Orthodox side, that would mean Nestorius is excommunicated from the Church of God, like he's okay. outside the family. Uh, if he would die in that situation, okay. it would be very dire for him. It'd be a very grave situation. Okay. So, yeah, sorry. So it's outside of the body of the church, not just outside of your names not mentioned anymore. Um, and was there, like, would there be an expectation if Cyril did it that Pope Celestine would follow and do the same thing? Well, look. Or does he have his own authority to decide if he wants to do that? Cyril did not, I think it's fair to say, Cyril did not view himself to have universal jurisdiction, meaning... If Cyril excommunicated somebody, as far as he's concerned, that person's excommunicated. But does that mean that person is excommunicated universally? What mm. if only Cyril excommunicated him, but Celestine didn't? And Celestine is still in communion with Cyril. So then, by extension, Nestorius would stay in communion with Cyril through Celestine, right? Got it. Yeah. But if both of them excommunicate him, then it's like, okay, he's out. And, and they wrote to the other bishops. They're like, hey, we're going to excommunicate him. You guys should too. That's what they told them. 
Okay, so other than these three C's, um, is there anybody else who's a major player that that Cyril is looking for some, you know, kind of support or deferring to at all? Uh, John of Antioch, he wrote to him, but John was on Nestorius' on side. Um, Rabula of Edessa, although being under Antioch, was with Cyril. Um, and then there was uh, Acacius of Melitene, Theodotus of Ancyra. These are huge um, Miaphysite bishops. Like their homilies okay. at Ephesus were very big. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let, let's continue uh, this story. So uh, Pope Celestine sends Nestorius this letter. Hey, you got two weeks to take it all back or you're excommunicated. Yeah. And then what, ha what happens next? So um, Theodosius, the emperor at the time, he was on Nestorius' side. He was Nestorius' friend. So he's like, let's not do that. We're going to have a council, and you guys can all be here, and you guys can talk about it. And uh, Rome had given Cyril their, like, representation. So Cyril was now going to Ephesus representing both churches, Rome and Alexandria. Uh, Nestorius, obviously, of Constantinople, John of Antioch is going. So they get there, they get to Ephesus um, to do the council. So the excommunication ultimatum of Celestine is like not applicable now because it's, it's replaced with this council idea. John of Antioch, like I said, he doesn't show up on time. He sends a guy ahead of him. He gives zero letters, says, hey, um, I might be late like a week or so. If I don't get there, you can feel free to, feel free to start, he tells him. So John, uh, so Cyril, the week, you know, it passes June 22nd. Cyril starts the council. John gets there. When Cyril starts the council, he excommunicates Nestorius right away. Nestorius was in the city, but he didn't show up because he was waiting for his friends to get there. But um, so he excommunicates Nestorius, who is absent. Uh, and then Nestorius' party shows up, John, Theodoret, all those guys. They show up, and they're mad that Cyril started everything, excommunicated Nestorius. They have their own council. At that council, they excommunicate Cyril and all the bishops on that side. They condemn Cyril for the 12 anathemas. They say they're Apollinarian. Do they so excommunicate Pope Celestine? Yeah, they excommunicated the whole council and all everyone who's represented at the council. Yeah. So there this is a minority doing this at at, a, at their council, right? The number like... yeah, the number of that synod I think were smaller than the than ours our version of it. Um they had Constantinople and Antioch and we had Rome and Alexandria there. Mm -hmm. So 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 how are these how is the council supposed to work? I mean Nestorius is not there. Who 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 makes Cyril in charge, like to run uh, it and decide what happens? So there was precedent that Alexandria was presiding over councils. That was already a thing. Um 
And since Alexandria now is representing two major seas, Rome and Alexandria, so they're going to preside. Nestorius actually complained about this. He's like, what, what is this? He's like, Cyril's the presiding, and he's representing Rome. It's like the guy that I'm fighting with, and he's the judge. An executioner, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> and so what's what's the state's role in this at the council? They were just kind of, like it always is, usually is, where they would kind of just see whatever they come up with, and then whatever you guys come up with, that will be the law. Um, okay. And so, but when, when there was two councils and two opposite decisions, the emperor accepted both of them. Both became the law. And so both Cyril and Nestorius were excommunicated and exiled. Wait, why did he do that? Because he didn't know, he didn't know like which one to agree uh, with. So he just <laughs> said, okay, both of them. Why was he you know, friends with Nestorius? It was a thing that the, the emperor of Constantinople was always the friend of the patriarch of Constantinople. He would pick him. Mm, got it. Okay. So um, the emperor really, he doesn't really have a dog in the fight. He doesn't care. He just wants them to figure out some sort of resolution. Unity. Exactly. Unity. For the sake of uh, the empire. Why for the sake of the empire? Contextually, outside outside of the this like theological battle, is there something going on historically that's relevant or important, like a war, or some kind of famine, or like is is there anything you're aware of that would add context that's important to know? The fifth century, um, Rome was already kind of backing away from Greek. They, they, were, they didn't know Greek anymore. There were, the, the Western half of the empire was very close to falling. They were already kind of uh, becoming um, dis, disunited from the main part of the empire, the Eastern half. Uh, so there was a lot of that going on, a lot of the Germanic barbarian tribes kind of invading in the West. And obviously you have the Persian problems in the East. Um, but so it was very important for the emperors that the empire remain united, especially in religion, because that was such a big part of life at the time, um, so that you can have as strong as a, an empire as possible. That's why the emperors cared so much. I mean, would people have even noticed, like everyday people going to church and <laughs> just like uh, regular day life would honestly, there's, how there's a story? There's a story where. A, a woman, she took a Chalcedonian Eucharist. This is in the 5th century. So same century. Mm -hmm. She took a Chalcedonian Eucharist. Her husband found out. He choked her until she vomited it. Wow. Yeah. There's another story. The Chalcedonians, they forced... Are, the, is, are these myths? Like No, no, these are real stories. It's a real story. There's a story where... The Chalcedonians forced a non-Chalcedonian monk to receive a, their Eucharist, and he spit it out, and then they burned him to death. Uh, so this wasn't just at the really high level, like, you know, bishops fighting amongst each other. Like, it affected the people on the ground, like real people. Oh, for sure. Real Absolutely. people had a stake in this, and they cared? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, 
But why? Then, like, I, I would expect your normal person wouldn't even understand that there was a heresy if you explained it to them. There was a I lot mean, of zeal. Like, the liturgy was the way in which the people understood orthodoxy. It wasn't in church fathers or scripture or councils. It was liturgy. That was the that was the way they understood what they believed for the lay person. So when you have in the liturgy, you're saying every time, you who are crucified for us. When you're saying that, when you're saying, holy God, holy, mighty, holy, mortal, you who are crucified for us, have mercy on us. Then all of a sudden, somebody takes out, you are crucified for us. You are crucified. What is this? Why? And there's going to be riots in the street. Got this it. Is the okay. Middle East we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, so it wasn't just we're understanding things differently. It's because we're understanding things differently, it's going to affect actually the words used in liturgy, how we pray, things like that. Right. Got it. So you gave one example that they would take out the who was crucified for us. Anything else that you can think of that um, adopting Nestorius's point of view would have, or that he tried to change, or his his followers, uh, it, things yeah, they introduced I, that were that were just to to say different. to say that um, when when you're changing the 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 liturgy like that. To, to say this initially you have to think of the re now now what they say is oh no we mean it's to be trinitarian that's why but that's not historically true so the reason why you changed it initially is because even though you thought it was christological you stopped believing that it was god who was crucified so and if you think about it like the third phrase the um uh holy immortal right Holy immortal. And you say that's about the Holy Spirit. Why? Who doubted the Holy Spirit is immortal? That's not the point. It's like the, the whole point is the oxymoronical thing of the immortal one died on the cross. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the idea. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There, uh, there are a lot of other things. Um uh, there are people you, people who canonize in the liturgy. That's important. Like, you know, the diptychs, when you say the names of the saints. So if you're saying particular people versus others, it's like that's your way of saying who the heroes and the villains are. And obviously mm -hmm. in that time they were saying the cursed uh, people too, like the anathemas. So you need, if you didn't have your right people on the right spot yeah. on the list, you know, people would be upset. And then they, it wasn't like the world is was as big as it is now like where you don't know the people personally like maybe you know them and you remember them and they were super holy and whatever and now this right right cursing that person so were changes made that rapidly like people were added to you know removed from liturgies and someone yeah. just said okay we're not saying who was crucified for us like when when you when you're making a statement of orthodoxy you're trying to convince the people of something because there was a controversy and now there's a reaction the controversy mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that implements an immediate change for example the oriental orthodox churches never had an iconoclasm so because we never had an iconoclasm 
we never had a reaction of ha like going overboard with icons because we never had people attacking icons in the first place. Yeah. We didn't. We could have just. We were just organic with icons. We didn't care. Whereas the Eastern Orthodox, they had they had an iconoclasm. So now their churches are like a reaction to people being against icons. So for for when these controversies were happening, the church and the law would would take a position to counter that in a reactionary way mm -hmm. for everybody to understand that's wrong and here's why got it got it okay all right so before we continue with the chronology the history of what happened um let's more explicitly get into the actual heresy if you can like kind of outline Again, what what Nestorius was teaching at this time, what Cyril was specifically saying to him to refute it, and where where the disconnect was. Sure. So Nestorius was saying essentially that Christ um, Christ is two natures after the union. All the polemic stuff about Nestorius and Nestorianism after, and it wouldn't be to it wouldn't be. We wouldn't be honest about Nestorius if we're going along with that. Like, he never said two sons. He never said two persons. He just said there's two natures after the union. And when Chalcedon happened in the Tome of Leo, he's like, thank God he was alive. He's like, thank God that's what I was trying to say this whole time. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's like, uh, and, you know, Chalcedon anathematizes him. So he said, he said, yeah, fine. I accept my anathema. Anathema to Nestorius. Nestorius himself said that. He said, anathema to Nestorius, orthodoxy wins. Like, that's what he was, that's all he was trying to do. And that's what his school of thought is. Like all of them, Theodore, all those guys. I made a video on uh, a review of a review. So there was, I don't know if you heard of him, Marmari. He's an Assyrian bishop in Australia. Um, and David Erhan made a review of, of his video. So mm -hmm. I made a review of David Erhan's review of Marmari's video because the Eastern Orthodox are trying to show, oh man, look at these, you know, Assyrians, they're trying to, they're making, you know, they're, they're so heretical with their two natures after the union, but it's like, you believe the same thing. And the only difference is because these guys are canonizing Nestorius, that's what makes them wrong. But there's nothing yeah. actually substantial what is the actual substance, the, the difference in Christology? I'm not understanding. Mm -hmm. So Nestorius, when he's saying that, and Theodora accepts it, Theodora, it's funny because, you know, in, in the Chalcedonian tradition, they call Theodora blessed. They call him blessed Theodora. But they anathematized all his writings because his writings are against Cyril. So imagine you have someone in your church who you say is blessed. He's in heaven, he's blessed, but you can't read anything he wrote because everything he wrote is heretical. Yeah, yeah. that's what it, that's what it's like. Is this kind of revisionist, uh, um, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, okay. So, I, I don't want to just I don't want to take anything for granted. So, why, why exactly is saying two natures heretical? Sure. What does that mean? Firstly, because Ephesus condemns it. That's the easy answer. The, the, if we're going into it, you have to think from a place of 
uh, application, like spiritual, um, like like what is it? A, a biblical systematic theology. So mm -hmm. Saint Severus he gives us the example of the one who walked on water. He says uh, it's foreign to the divine nature to have feet to walk, and it's foreign to the human nature to walk on water. So which nature was it that walked on the water? Is the one incarnate nature? Mm. Uh, Jesus, when he he calmed the storm, when he was on the boat, he was sleeping. They woke him up from his sleep, and he calmed the storm. Who calmed the storm? Is the same one who was sleeping. Does God sleep, or does a human calm the storm? But it's the one incarnate nature. Revelation one, he says, uh, "I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega." A few verses later. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead. So the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the eternal one, he's the one who died for us. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the, the thing, is that the whole the 12 anathemas of Cyril, we take those as inspired, just like the, the Council of Nicaea, the, the Creed of Nicaea. They're equal to us. The 12 anathemas, the fourth one, I think, it says you can't, separate you can't take verses and say this is the human nature and verses and say this is the divine nature in everything he does and says uh he does and says as god man at the same time that's why we have salvation so it's important because when you divide the natures then the whole story of salvation goes away because if mm -hmm. only a human went through the human stuff then how are we saved the whole way we're saved is because God went through this and experienced this and redeemed us and restored us. But yeah. when he put on humanity, he restored humanity. And only God can die for all of men. Not A man can't die for everybody. All right. So what problem were the Nestorians trying to solve by having two natures? Was it just that, oh, we can't say that God, you know, slept like what 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 compelled them to push this uh christology and like what what bothered them about the cerulean christology so ironically they're trying to preserve the the humanity they're trying to preserve the unity of the natures by doing this in their mind they're trying to like preserve the integrity of it because for them, we're dissolving the union. Mm. And for them, they're preserving it by saying, see, there he's completely two. He's he's perfectly two and united. There's no mixing happening. He's preserving both natures in their completeness. But what they're missing is that when they're doing that, there is no incarnation. There's so no what, what would be some, you gave some examples of, the application of saying one nature what would be their application how would they apply it like to, to well, god like, or the verses from the tome of leo leo says it's not the same one who said the father is greater than i he's not the same as the one who said uh, i and the father are one mm -hmm. so got it yeah Okay, that's Leo, but what about, like, did Nestorius specifically say anything? That... Yeah, he gives a lot of examples. Um, I think he uses the example of the Magi who 
they come to worship. He says the the one who is clothes clothes himself in the baby and not the baby. Yeah. Uh, when and he uses the example of how Jesus grew in in grace and truth when he was younger, um, things like that. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I feel like uh, <laughs> those incorrect applications, I guess, are not that foreign. I feel like I hear them still. Yeah, I quite agree. often. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Even with the even within my church, within us, yeah, 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 yeah. So, it, so it doesn't that show like it's is is it a fine? Obviously, the people I hear in my church aren't intending to <laughs> intending to espouse a an hmm. orthodox view. Yeah. Um, so, what's what's going on there? Is just slipping up, making mistakes? Exactly. Is it so close that you really I, have to be thinking about it consciously i think that it's such an it's probably the most important doctrine in christianity the christology and the trinity are the most important things so mm -hmm. if we're not if we're not thinking about them then what are we thinking about in christianity like if we're if we're not being careful if we're slipping up in this type of thing then what, what what's left like yeah okay love your neighbor everybody's saying that the mormons are saying that but it, this is the, the orthodoxy part of it that orthopraxy comes from, is how we understand salvation history, how we're saved. So, yes, it is happening in the parishes, but it's because, it's because of ignorance. Um, it's because of a lack of knowledge. Uh, and I think when a renaissance happens in our patristic tradition, and I, I have have optimism in the upcoming generations i don't think that will be happening anymore mm. you can't you can't go you can't go to a church like if i'm doing the the morning doxology or the morning prayers with with you guys the coptic church and i'm saying how dioscoros fought against the heretics which you guys say every morning well who are the heretics who did dioscoros fight against he fought against leo and he fought against those guys so when I go to their church and I'm seeing an icon of Leo, like, yeah, it's all it's all the same. It's all a big misunderstanding. Well, then everybody was stupid this whole time. Like, <laughs> I don't understand, you know? I was telling you before we got online, like, how I, in researching for this, I realized, man, I don't know Jack. Um, and it's because just, just because of that, what you just said, I feel like a, what ends up being taught is like... Uh, Oh, it's just all political. It's a misunderstanding of words. I feel like that's what I was always told um, about the schism at Chalcedon. Like, oh, we all believe the same thing. It's just uh, misunderstanding, political, and it was kind of just left at that. But you're saying, no, that's wrong. These were real disagreements, and they didn't excommunicate each other just for fun. It's it's a it's a Protestant argument, really. It's the same thing. It's like if you if you find the Bible today, and uh, you're interpreting it on your own without the two thousand year old tradition that you 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 that it comes from, and you think you understand it better than the two thousand years of tradition that it comes from, it's the same thing. It's like okay, we received this situation. The fathers didn't understand. They communicated each other, but they didn't understand what they were doing. <laughs> We understand better now than they did. 
See, I think yeah. it's the same. Good point. Good point. Okay, so where we left off is Cyril presided, excommunicated Nestorius. They were like, yo, you didn't wait for us. What are you doing? We're going to excommunicate you back. Yeah. The emperor adopts both resolutions. And so uh -huh. none of none of them has supremacy or like what you said, both are imperial law at this point. Yeah, both are imperial law. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, what happens? So wait, so on that point, then I didn't yeah. know that that both were I didn't know that happened and both were imperial law. So how, so how can you say that Ephesus was a ecumenical council? What do you mean? What's the relation? Oh, because they because of the emperor thing you're saying? Right, because if there's something contradictory that's also imperial law, and does that not matter? Or um Oh well, how how much later did the second that other council happen? Like is this like almost simultaneous that both are adopted or so okay. The emperor, because he doesn't have a horse in the race, and because he's pissed that the whole point of him calling for a council was to squash this, and then the opposite happened that the two <laughs> councils happened, and then there was no result. Like it was the opposite of what he wanted, right? <laughs> but then yeah. he was like, Okay, I'm going to punish both of you guys. Um, I'm not going to recognize either one, or I'm sorry, I'm going to recognize both. And you guys are both excommunicated. Cyril and Nestorius were exiled. Um, now, the difference is Cyril has more friends, and he has more important friends. So his important friends were the emperor. They're like, come on, you know, Cyril's our friend. Um, here's some <laughs> donations. Here's whatever you need. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> When you so say he was Cyril, exiled, does that literally mean he was removed to the monastery or yes? Yeah. Okay. So Cyril Cyril takes his spot back. Nestorius's excommunication is upheld. Uh Antioch is upset. They ex they keep the excommunication going. Um for two years. So then Celestine, uh, Rome, they tell they tell Cyril they're like kind of, you know. Salah home, be friends with them again. Like, uh, try to figure out some kind of agreement with them or whatever. Cyril's like, okay. Theodore, he writes this letter. Uh, it's called the Formula of Reunion. He writes it and he's uh, John of Antioch sends it to Cyril. Cyril reads the letter. He's like, okay, as long as this is interpreted within the context of the Council of Ephesus and the Twelve Anathemas, no problem. And that's how all the bishops on Cyril's side understood the letter. The Antioch side, how did they understand the letter? This letter replaces Ephesus and replaces the Twelve Anathemas, that we don't need to accept those anymore. This is, by Cyril agreeing to this, he's repenting from that. And this is how... They understood that letter. What what indicated he agreed to it? Is it like sign at the bottom if you agree to it? Exactly. Dr. Oh, Simon. really? Oh. <laughs> 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 okay, but it didn't. But and then after and then each party interpreted his signature to mean something else. Yes. 
He he like, interpreted their why, signature why? to be something, oh. and they interpreted his signature to be something. Yeah, they needed a like a contract lawyer, man. Uh, they needed a counsel. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, and what makes it clear that they had different understandings of what these signatures meant? Um, the the letter of Ibas that I mentioned earlier. The letter of Ibas. After that happened, Ibas sends his letter to the the Church of the East, it, explaining to them the events, and the, his narrative is exactly what I just told you. That Sir so who's Ibas? Ibas was the bishop of Edessa. Edessa okay. was the see under Antioch. Edessa was the like the bishop of Edessa traditionally would be the communication between the Church of Antioch and the Church of the East. That was okay. kind of the way they would talk to each other. So Abbas, uh, Ibas told them, he told them, this is what happened. Cyril repented. Uh, we got this letter down, whatever, right? There was no mention of the Council of Ephesus there. There's no mention of the 12 anathemas are mentioned as heretical in the letter. Okay. Now, everybody kind of, this was a huge waste of time because nothing got resolved in this whole controversy. That's the, that's the reality of it. And it gave us patristic precedence in like in hindsight but in their time nothing got resolved so uh, cyril he passes away in 444 his right hand man his his pick to succeed him dioscoros becomes pope of alexandria and uh eudikes who's a monk in constantinople He's there in Constantinople. He does something stupid, like he doesn't know if Jesus is consubstantial with us and the Father. He's like he didn't know anything. He should he should have just not talked because he didn't know anything. But so there was a synod there, like a local synod, uh, where the patriarch of Constantinople, Flavian, who's one of those guys, he still wants someone from that school, John's school. He goes. So they had they have their own synod. They excommunicate Flav uh, Eutyches because Eutyches is unaware to say of oh, he's consubstantial or not. He just kept saying, "I don't know what consubstantial means." Uh, uh, what's the context? Eutyches is where? Where's he saying this? Like he's a he's a monk he a sermon. Or? He, he I don't know who he said it to. He's a monk oh, okay. So that that's yeah. how that's how like intense this is. If someone hears someone say some. A little right. off. <laughs> okay, this is very. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. All right. So, so says it this. just this lowly monk says something dumb. Right. Comes back to Flavian. Yeah. So okay. so Eutyches says this, and um, and then they excommunicate him. Flavian wants him to say Christ is in two natures. Uh, Eutyches says, but Cyril and, and Athanasius didn't teach us that. They thought us one nature, and they're like, okay, but is he consubstantial? And he's like, I don't know what that means. So then he gets excommunicated. Now Theodosius. The so emperor, they were willing to let it go if he said, yes, they're cons consubstantial. No, because they're trying to prove that Eutyches was a heretic because he's saying that he's not uh, he's not willing to say the consubstantial part. Right, because he didn't understand what that meant. Exactly. But if he did and he said yes, would it have been dropped? Even though he, he said, I'm not going to say two natures. I mean, if he was able to convince them that one nature was orthodox. I, I don't okay. know if they would have agreed with that. Yeah, because okay. they were two nature guys. So 
So then Theodosius was sad because he was friends with Eutyches, the emperor, it's the same guy. He was friends with Eutyches. He didn't want him to be excommunicated. So he called Dioscoros. He said, uh, Dioscoros had an iPhone, I think. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> it seems he, like more of an Android guy, though, to be right? honest. He's, he's kind of a... Uh, <laughs> so he told, him, he told Dioscoros, he said, uh, I want you to restore him. So we're going to do another council in Ephesus, and you're going to restore Eutyches there. So prepare for Eutyches uh, an orthodox confession of faith that he could just read off. Just let him read this, and then that's it. He's orthodox, you know. No doubt him. Why do you? Why did he have a? Why do you need a whole council just to do that? Because he was. The Maybe I'm over hyping what a council is, but no, like, no, you're right. You're right because yeah. it was. See, the political situation it was so sensitive that. You had the capital of the empire, Constantinople, excommunicating the guy. And then Rome, Leo was pope in Rome at the time. Leo affirms the excommunication. So it's like you have the like two of the biggest churches mm -hmm. saying this. Now you need to kind of do this big thing. So, they Wait, so yeah. you had mentioned earlier, sorry to cut you off, okay. you mentioned earlier that the emperor of Constantinople is always buddies with the patriarch there. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he just go direct to whoever so who was the patriarch time, at the time? And because Theodosius switched sides with the uh, whole Cyril thing, so Theodosius became an Alexandria guy. It's very gotcha. rare. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Alexandria and Constantinople, they have this rivalry like seven, I counted them seven times. Alexandria deposes the Constantinople Patriarch. It's like a, it's like the NBA playoffs, but instead of a four-game sweep, it's a seven-game sweep. If it's seven in a row, they yeah. depose. It's so crazy. why is that why Theodosius became like a Alexandria guy? Is just like they're dominating, or I think the Cyril thing won him over. Um, like he actually had an understanding of it. I or... think so. Yeah, he's canonized as a saint for us, the emperor. Okay. Okay. So. So uh, Cyril. So he appeals to Dioscorus. Yeah, he appeals and to says, him. Write appeals him a to... write him a thing of faith. Yeah, uh -huh. and so so they're at the council. They're at the council, and this is like a legit council. Like everybody knows about it. Everyone's there. Leo sends his representatives. It's not like this underground hidden night council that the council don't even think it is. It's a legit council. Now. Everything at the council is normal. Eutyches says the confession of faith. Um, the people who are accused of heresy are asked to defend themselves. They choose not to talk. That's up to them. Um, they plead the fifth or whatever when there is no fifth amendment at that time. And uh, so there are people who are deposed absent because... They were under house arrest. They weren't allowed to go to the council, like Theodora Ibas. Yeah. What does it mean to be deposed exactly? Be removed from your position as a bishop, to be excommunicated from the church. Okay. So it's not an interrogation, like I think of a deposition where oh, I'm asking sorry, questions. No. no, that's what I mean. Okay. Like you're removed. Okay. So do you have notice ahead of time that you're gonna be deposed? You know, because the guy who's who's presiding, you know if you like him or not. So, like for example, Theodore, is he gonna is is Cyril's right hand man gonna leave him in 
Cyril wanted an excuse to get Theodora out. There's no way they're gonna leave me in. You know, like mm. this is it's by association. You know who your friends yeah. are. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so Theodora Ibas were under house arrest by the emperor before this, just for Nestorianism automatically. And then, so they were under house arrest. They were deposed at, at the council, even though they weren't there. Dominus II, the nephew of John, who was now Patriarch of Antioch, uh, he was deposed. He was replaced. Um, and then Flavian was deposed. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, Flavian wasn't killed at the council. Um, and Leo's tome was sent to the council to be read, which was the judgment of Eutyches. But why do you read the judgment before the trial? That doesn't make sense. That's what the trial's for. So then they didn't read the tome. They could have condemned the tome, but they didn't. That tells you something. They're like, okay, there is this diversity and communion. Um, the Latins might be saying some weird stuff. We don't need to get into it. It's like in the margins. We can leave that for them. But if the if the council wanted, they could have just condemned the tome right there, you know. Uh, and they didn't do that. That was, uh, that's very important to, to think about. Okay. Now, uh, moving forward, the emperor dies. So again, Constantinople, there's a replacement bishop. Anantioch, replacement bishop. The emperor dies. New emperor comes in. He wants to reconcile because Rome gets mad. 449, Ephesus. Leo gets really mad that his tome wasn't read. He excommunicated the whole east. So 451, 450, the new emperor comes in, Marcion. He wants to reconcile Rome to the empire. He's like, what do you want? Blank check. Leo tells him, I want everybody to accept my tone because it's not an option. I want it's it's I I intended this to be universally accepted. That this is where papal infallibility comes from. But mm. and so the emperor is like, let's do a council for it in Nicaea. Leo's like, we don't need to do a council. Just impose my tome on everybody. And then he's like, yeah, but I want to do a council because Nicaea, it's cool. I'll be like second Constantine to do it again. And I was like, whatever. So then it was going to be at Nicaea. They go to Nicaea. They change the location to Chalcedon, which is like another part of, of uh, Constantinople. It's like across mm -hmm. the So um, they're in Chalcedon. Dioscorus is being judged. All these guys are back, Theodore, Ibas, uh, like all the guys who were deposed, just off Leo's authority. So Leo automatically, like his papal authority just is restoring everybody without them being canonically restored. So that tells you something about how he viewed himself and the papacy. And Dioscoros, I, I think you know the story, he kind of gets like uh, blindsided by all his friends kind of betraying him. Uh, the Synod of Alexandria stays true, but everybody else, they switch sides. And uh, he doesn't show up to his own trial. Uh, he gets deposed absent, not for heresy, just for not going. How is it determined who gets a trial and who's just deposed? It sounds like a lot of people are deposed without trials. Well, everybody gets a trial. but Everybody they, gets a trial. They have to summon them three times. If they don't show up after three times, they're deposed. Are there actual like bylaws and rules, or is this just like good practice? <laughs> like, are, are is there yeah, a whole list uh, of like? There's, there's canons yeah. for this. The canons okay. are that um, 
you the, you have to call the the judged person. There's like a there's a place where the judged are seated, and then there's mm -hmm. the place where the judges are. So then the judged person, you need to call him three times for him to show up. So Dioscoros was among the judged at Chalcedon. And who's presiding at Chalcedon? Rome and Anatolius and Maximus, the Patriarch of Constantinople, Mac, uh, mm -hmm. Ma Anatolius, and then Maximus, Patriarch of Antioch. These were these were Dioscoros' friends before this. Mm. Yeah. It's when you say friends, you mean they agreed with... with... Yeah, they, they, he put them there. He put them in these positions. Like he, mm. at Ephesus 2, he removed Constantinople and <clears throat> patriarchs, and he replaced right. them with his own guys. And then they switched on him. It's like it's a very tragic council if you read Chalcedon. It's like, uh, and you know, me, like I didn't have a horse in the race going into this. Like I didn't know what the differences are. I didn't have, my family is not either side, whatever. Um, but when you read it, it's like there's no way this council is in agreement with the previous one. There's no way this is led by the Holy Spirit or whatever. It's, this is this is a travesty that's happening. Like it's so yeah. uncanonical on so many levels. Why why does friends flip on him? Because um, so there was an agreement that if Constantinople uh, accepts the tome of Leo then they can become the second highest see in the empire after Rome, whereas Alexandria used to be that before. So that's why Constantinople wanted to, to flip yeah. for that reason. Antioch can have keep his see because the emperor would have removed him if he didn't. Yeah. Why was Pope Leo hellbent on his tome being adopted by everyone? Was it a, like a personal, was it a pride thing? Or he just thought like, hey, this this theology, this Christology is, is going to correct everything. Did he actually believe that? This is like... Yeah, he, there, was, there was a lot of references before this all that he was a very aggressive pope, like more than normal. Like he wrote a letter to Dioscoros early on, like telling him when and when not to ordain priests. Like he, would, he was like micromanaging. And... Um, uh, in, in 447 in Spain, he had councils to say there are two natures after the union. It's heretical to say one nature. He was a student of Augustine, and that's what Augustine believed, that there are two natures. And Augustine was friends with Theodore, who I talked about earlier. So Theod Leo comes from that school. So it's interesting, like, theology within... Uh... The land community can just change or can just change based on who's the pope because the, the prior pope you were talking about pope celestine was with cyril right did he yeah 100%. was he like was was he fully comprehending what cyril was saying and the dispute and or, or you kind of you kind of implied that he kind of just got his letters first and yeah there's a question about whether how strong a theologian celestine was but before mm -hmm. him julius of rome was really really uh you know, in touch with that, and he was very, he backed up St. Athanasius a lot, and um, Julius of Rome, his letters were read at Ephesus 1, where Julius is saying there's one nature, very clearly. <clears throat> okay, so Pope Leo, student of Augustine, who was affiliated with Theodore, Theodore. Or, 
Yeah. Okay. And how did, how did that happen? That's the uh, Augustine Theodore connection. That's a very good question. So there's scholarship on this. Um, Theodore was just that big. He was very popular and we, we can't imagine it today. Like Chrysostom, who was a big deal for us now, wasn't a big deal back then. Augustine wasn't a big deal back then, but Theodore was. Theodore was a huge deal. So like he was probably one of the most popular teachers in the Christian world at the time. Okay. Yeah. And that when you say that, you mean like his, his preaching was just popular. His, his biblical commentaries, his preaching. <clears throat> He was he was considered to be very brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. So, um, did you say why uh, Dioscorus was deposed? Because he didn't show up the thrice summons. Okay. So three summoned three times and then deposed just for not showing up. And why didn't he show up? Because he realized this was a puppet <clears throat> council just to depose him. Like he had said. I don't believe, uh, I can't say Christ is in two natures. I can say from two. So because the Oscuro said that, the, the definition of Chalcedon was going to be from two natures. They changed it just because the Oscuro said from two natures because they can't agree with him. So they changed it to say in two natures just so the Oscuros doesn't agree with it on purpose. Mm -hmm. So the Oscuros kind of, he figured it out like, you know, this is, this is a setup. Okay. And how, how long was, how long, like how many days is this council going on for? Like how long are all these events happening? Is this a couple of days? Are we talking a no, month? I like, think, yeah, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I would, I want to say, I want to say a month or so. Okay. Yeah. So you said he was supposed to go on trial and then he missed it so then he summoned three times he doesn't show so then he's mm. deposed yes and it's him and who else is deposed at this council his supporters or uh let's see was anyone else deposed <clears throat> oh i think he's the only bishop who was okay yeah the, the synod of alexandria went back they they told them hey you guys can't leave without signing so the Synod of Alexander is like, well, it's out of our custom to sign without our Pope. So let us go back to Egypt. We'll select the Pope, and then we'll we'll sign it and send it back to you. So they let them go, and they never signed until <laughs> now. Okay. Uh, the Coptic Church has never signed. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I, I thought I read something different about uh, <clears throat> them being afraid about being persecuted going back home so yeah that's true it, they said okay. if we sign without with without our patriarch we go back home they're gonna kill us the people uh -huh. yeah gotcha man it was real back then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i think you just going back real quick on this uh this three missing three summons you get deposed Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you said when Cyril deposed his story, so it was right away. It was right when he started the council. Um, Cyril, Cyril did it right away. He summoned him right like three times. Oh, okay, he, so it's three him. summons right away. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming that's just like, hey, young boy, more. go, 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 find the bishop and bring him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so God. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so <clears throat> Dioscorus is deposed, and then what does that mean practically? Is he like locked up in jail? What they exiled him to Gangra. Uh, I think it's an, an island or something, uh, or maybe it's a Gangra in Bulgaria. I can't remember where it is. I looked it up before. I can't remember now. But they exiled him to Gangra. He's, he was writing letters from Gangra still, and the Coptic Church recognizes him to have still been the Pope even when he was in Gangra until he died. I think 454, 455, something like that. Okay, and you said Marcion is emperor at this time, right? Yes. Okay, so he goes, like, he just goes, he's cooperative, like, there's no account of him, like, cursing oh, he's him loving, the way out. Because all he wanted was Leo to be happy, and that's what he got. Oh, no, no, I'm talking about Marcion, I'm talking about Dioscorus. Oh, Oh, what about like during this uh, this process where like you get deposed and you get exiled? Is there accounts or records of him like rebelling, or is he just cooperating? He, like, all right, this is what you guys he's, decided. He's not concerned with that. He's concerned with Christology. So Dioscorus now is writing about the one nature, and he's writing about why we can't accept two natures. And, saying into natures is wrong from two natures is right he's thinking about orthodoxy more than he's thinking about what's happening to him okay yeah and so do they they do they replace him immediately with another bishop um the orthodox don't the the the, em the emperor tries to but the, when the guy gets there he was killed uh, i forgot his name um <laughs> He yeah. was killed. <laughs> yeah. The, the, wow. The, top, the Egyptians were were not having it, so they they lynched. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. And then what happens? Is there a period and then where after Dioscoros reposes, they elected oh. uh, and there's no like look all the all the Chalcedonian policies, all the persecutions, all that stuff. It doesn't touch Egypt for like a hundred years because they can't. They can't like the whole province is non Chalcedonian. Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna lose all of Egypt, mm, right? So the bread basket. The, yeah. Like, so, so the goal of of unity in the empires. So I said that that ship has sailed at this point, right? For the time being, uh, the twenty years or so. Okay. Yeah. Um. But 20 years after, within 20 years, all the Eastern churches become non-Chalcedonian again. 20 years after this. So very, very soon. Everyone's like, yeah, this is stupid. Let's go back to being non-Chalcedonian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so all these figures we're talking about here, these characters, Cyril, Dioscorus, Leo, Theodoret, yada, yada, it's a long list. The emperors. Um, I mean, are these good guys, bad guys? I mean, this, this is a broad question, but yeah, is everybody here trying to do the right thing and good? Obviously, you know. I don't. I don't think anybody didn't have. Um, I mean, I was. I was gonna say I don't think anyone didn't have conviction, but then I remembered Theodore, and I changed my mind. So a lot of a lot of the people involved had conviction one way or the other. Um, but you would have like very obvious political 
uh, moves. Like Theodore is at Chalcedon. They're asking him, hey, you know, condemn Nestorius. And Theodore goes, yeah, I condemn Nestorius and Eutyches and anybody who would dare to say that there, Christ has two sons. But Nestorius didn't say Christ has two sons. And you know that, Theodora. Mm. And um, and what else? He goes, I was, he, Theodora, so this, is, this is what the Chalcedonians quote to be Theodora's repentance. Theodora said at Chalcedon, I was Orthodox and my teachers were Orthodox. Who's his teacher? Theodore. So that's his repentance? Mm. I was Orthodox and my teachers were Orthodox. Imagine you're telling your father of confession, or you're in confession, you're telling Abuna, Abuna, uh, this is my confession to you, is I wasn't wrong. <laughs> is that a repentance? Yeah. Not repentance. Yeah. So, um, but but so there are like if you're if you're looking at this, you're trying to be objective, you know, like I think I was before I chose a side. Um, I think if you're being if you're doing that it's obvious who is being like sincere to the tradition that they received before and who has yeah. like, a little gain from this yeah so you you kind of you kind of brought up this point about uh, papal supremacy mm -hmm. with the uh, with leo is is that where you're saying when it like really started to be a a concept I would say so. I mean, obviously, my Roman Catholic friends would disagree. They, they would say it's earlier. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there are there are hints at it earlier, like with Pope Victor in the second century, um, with uh, the situation that happened uh, with the whole Miletius thing and Sardica and whatever in the fourth century. So it's there there are like instances where arguments can be made but i think leo makes the most explicit case yeah mm -hmm. and does does everybody or i guess it would be a majority of people kind of going along with them does that bolster that the argument that Rome was supreme, or was it just coincidence? So, well, we just so, actually just agree with them. Yeah, they, they have a rule. Well, there's two things I want to say about that. They the, they have a rule that the faith is that which was preached by all everywhere. So in Egypt, in Syria, how come nobody told us that we have to be in communion with the Bishop of Rome to be in the church? How come they didn't? They told us about the Eucharist, the sacraments, the priesthood, the Trinity, Christology, but nobody told us about we have to be with Rome to be in the church. No one told us that. How was that dogma then? That's number one. Number two, the majority, it doesn't mean it's right because that part of the world didn't have the persecution that we had. Tamor, Tamor in history, the warlord, he killed. Over 14 million of our people in our church. That's the biggest genocide nobody ever talks about. Um, the Church of the East used to be the biggest church out of all of us. Now it's the smallest. But when it was the biggest, we didn't think like, oh, well, they're the biggest. You know, maybe they're right. So uh, mm -hmm. it's just because if you're in Western Europe, if you're in the Western Hemisphere, you're not under the same circumstances that our people are in. 
Got it. We have 100 yeah. million. It's not like we're like tiny, but yeah. Yeah. So I've heard, I mean, I can't really think of a specific example, but I feel like I've heard back. I asked you about characters here and their actual character. I've heard not nice things about Dioscorus. Um, do you know what I'm referencing? Like, exactly. I feel yeah. like I've heard him, someone say that he fought somebody. At. Right. <laughs> That's the like, Flavian oh. thing I mentioned. Earlier. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was saying, I was saying the, the thing was Flavian, like they accused him of killing Flavian. <laughs> so the thing with Flavian is uh, Nestorius, who out of all people, he comes to the rescue in this. He he writes about it. He says the soldiers, when Flavian was in exile, they're they're the ones who killed Flavian way after the council. So imagine after the council, Flavian is writing letters to Leo telling him this is what happened at Ephesus. This is what they did. You know, saying everything, he never once uh, mentions that anybody was violent with him or anybody hit him. He never mentions it one time. And he's writing letters, so he has the ability to, to do that. So how, how is that then possible? And Nestorius is a witness who hates us. How is it possible for, for us to be the killers of Flavi? It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. okay. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do so. Do we have an alternative theory about who killed him? Yeah, it's the soldiers. The soldiers killed. Uh, like Nestorius says, the soldiers. Uh, when Flavian was in was in exile, the soldiers killed. Uh, Flavian. Okay, but motive, just they're just bully soldiers. They probably okay. just got pissed off. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, uh, different Chad time, man. <laughs> no uh, civil yeah, rights. Chad, got it. Chadwick writes about it. He says the injuries were not fatal, but like for a regular person, it's mm. just like he wasn't given the opportunity to heal from the injuries, and that's why he died. Okay. Yeah. So, what do we do about that? Uh, you mentioned uh, our morning doxologies, called them heretics. <laughs> sure, I'm sure they call. Dioscorus a heretic and right. us heretics. Yeah. Uh, what do we, I mean, what do we do about that? Look, uh, this is another unpopular opinion. When I started, I was much more ecumenical than I am now. But I think if we're being realistic, the only thing is one side has to say they were wrong. I know it's crazy, but that's the only way you can really fix the situation. It's like everybody wants us to reconcile without anybody saying they were wrong, and that's not possible. Mm -hmm. Because you are, you're kind of, um, you have such a tradition, you have such a, a long and rich tradition built on this, and it's, they're not, they're, they're opposing, they're opposing traditions. Yeah, like you have heroes and villains, and we have heroes and villains, and they're the opposite side. So somebody has to come and be like, "Hey, you know, you guys were right the whole time," or something. You know, I don't see. I don't know if that's possible. You mentioned that video that you did, and your channel, by the way. If we can just let people know what it is, it's uh, how do people? I know it's called Lion's Den, but. Yeah. 
The actual handle is not Lions Den, right? You, I don't remember. Is it not? Yeah, I think I think it's Daniel Kakish. Um, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Lions Den, Daniel Kakish, so many great videos there with. Thank you. A couple of other buddies that you do, and honestly, I've learned so much. But I did, I did get a peek of the review of David Erhan's review mm. of Mari yeah. Manuel. What's his name? Mari yeah. Mari. Yeah. Um, his uh, I guess one of his sermons or something. Um, and is I mean, is that a potential path forward when you're like? showing the other side like hey you're not that f you're not that much you're not saying that much different than this guy you're calling the heretic right and you're relying well, on cyril like why don't you just make the leap and i think so i think for for the the chalcedonia it's a christological question for sure and with the Church of the East, who the Syriac Orthodox Church is very concerned with, because we view them as like our Eastern lung, like they're mm -hmm. we both we both come from the same tradition, and we feel like they're our brother who left home, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's like imagine there's another Coptic Church that is separate from you guys in Egypt. That's how we view the Syrian Church. So, um. Uh, for them, the, the, the question becomes, what did the Syriac tradition and the Syriac fathers before the schism, what did they say? That's what my thesis is about. So then it's to show them that originally you guys were talking like us before Greek influence, like Theodore, before the Greeks involved, you guys were, were believing what we believe. And then the Greeks messed you up. So then if you want to be purely Syriac, natively Syriac, you're going to believe what we believe. But if you want to be this hybrid of Syriac-Greek stuff that you guys did. Mm -hmm. so yeah. How far do you take it? Because I know you said people call you super orthodox and say you're too extreme. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> like I was saying earlier, before I even came across your content, um, Almost everything online that's orthodox is honestly anything that I would be interested in listening to. <laughs> there's a lot okay. of you know, there's a lot of bad Coptic Orthodox sermons out there. Okay, I'm not I'm not throwing shade. It's just they're just yeah, yeah. You know, basic sermons, right? Uh, you know that sure. I would prefer to just get during an actual service, right? right. Um, I'm not seeking them online, but <laughs> the EO produce a lot of really great content. Um, are you like are, are you like don't listen to that stuff <laughs> because how far does because you said because you made an interesting point you were like without the correct christology without you know the correct beliefs about the trinity etc what are we right like everybody says love your neighbor yeah. so for saying they're not correct on this core thing how does that how does that infiltrate everything else because it for me i haven't been able like i don't really pick up on it to be honest i don't i listen to a sermon i listen to the teachings i'm not the, i've never it's never been really maybe that's just my own ignorance but i've never really come across something and i'm like whoa that's like way off there so for scholar scholarly sources i have no problem with using them 
Um, mm-hmm. Volker Menzi, uh, Richard Price, J- uh, John Bear. I don't have a problem using them for scholarship. Like I cite their sources, whatever. But for spiritual benefit, for spiritual nourishment and kind of um, being edified, no, I wouldn't go to them because they I, I don't I don't believe that they have that to give me. This is this, I will go home to my mom, the mother the mother. She will like our church. So from our church she'll give me this spiritual mm-hmm. knowledge. Because I believe there's only one church. Yeah. yeah. And I don't wanna I don't wanna harp on this, but I, I do think it's important that not you're going to be really unpopular for for the, like answering these follow up questions, but what like why do you why do you think that why do you think you can't like because I because I think people will tell you from their practice from their own lived experience oh yeah I've listened to this father from the Antiochian Church I listened to this person from the Russian I read this guy's book you know they're all great man they've all benefited me so much are you saying that's fine, but go to your church. Yeah, first. it's like it's like if you if you're eating McDonald's and you're hungry, you're gonna be full, sure. But it's different than eating your mom's food. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, if I want some of my mom's home cooking, listen to the Lions Den. But what else, what else is out there that? No, we're nothing. Right? <laughs> I, I, but what else is out there that maybe? I don't know about other people don't know about that. So here's the thing. All the stuff we do is great. Like the Bible studies. Um, I'll send you the, the link to our Bible studies, the, the lines, then whatever. But all of that is extra credit. That's like the, that's like the Baglawa or something. That's not, that's not the meat. Like what you're, what, where we are, where yeah. we are given to receive our theology from is not the homilies of priests either. Not, and not even the Bible. It's the liturgy and the hymns and the prayers. That's the normative way from which God intends the people to understand their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a disconnect uh, because of language, because of culture, whatever. But like, generally speaking, that's the normative way. Now we have more resources to do uh, more stuff, you know, but he doesn't intend for that. Like if that if if we're doing that, that's extra. But what he intends for us is to know what we pray to him. So when we're praying liturgy, we're singing hymns, we're deriving our spiritual nourishment and our growth from those things because that is what we're understanding the faith to be if we're paying attention to the words. I always tell the Bible study I do, I say, pay attention to the liturgy, even if it's just one slide each time, but a different slide. Each time, one slide, pay attention. Get one slide at least from each liturgy, from each, uh, you know, the, the, the prayers like Vespers or whatever, or the hymns, uh, because this is what the lay people were intended to have. They weren't intended yeah. to have Bibles. They weren't intended to have the church fathers' writings or the the minutes of the acts of the councils. That yeah. that wasn't the normal way. That's not the organic way. It's like you have a baby. When you have a baby, you don't you don't give the baby a pen and a pencil, a pencil and a paper to teach them how to read and write and to talk and, and understand. They just hear their mom and dad talking, 
And then they start talking like their mom and dad. That's the organic way. So yeah. the liturgy and the prayers and the hymns are the organic way for us. Yeah, no, I like that. And there's so much depth to it. And honestly, even at my age now, I'll, I'll be sitting through a liturgy and realize I, I actually don't know a lot of what's happening. You brought up something that I really liked. You just threw it in and passing in one of your interviews about why we light the coal before putting it in the sensor. If you could explain that, and I think this is just a great example of what you're talking about, about how if we really understand everything that's going on in the liturgical services and stuff, we'll be far more edified than trying to go read somebody's book or listening to some random, some random YouTube uh, lecture. Sure. So um, in the liturgy, we we can't put the, the, the coal in the sensor before it's lit. The sensor symbolizes the womb of the Virgin Mary. The coal, uh, when it's lit, the charcoal it becomes, it symbolizes Christ incarnate, the divinity and the humanity united. So once you light a coal, you can't now separate the fire from the, the coal. That's it. It's one entity. It's one thing, inseparable. And in the womb of the Virgin Mary, from the moment of conception, that's who he is. He is the mm -hmm. word of God incarnate, the one nature. So that's why we can't put the coal in the in the sensor and then light it, because that's implying that the humanity existed before it was united to the divinity. We can't do that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was uh, such a pleasure talking to you. I learned so much, and I got to have you on for another one soon. Maybe we'll Anytime. go live. Yeah. Um, I want to do something something different this time. My next guest... It's going to be uh, Dr. Jeannie Constantino. Oh, uh, San Diego. I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you give me a question now to ask her when I interview her. Okay. Can, can you think of one right now? Yeah, I can actually. Ask her what she thinks about the libellus of Hormistus. What is her opinion on it? I'll write that for you. <laughs> okay. You want to tell me what that is real quick? Yeah, sure. So... In 518, uh, there was a, an emperor at the time. His name was Justin, the, the uncle of Justinian. He mm -hmm. said he wanted to reconcile Rome because Rome was pissed off again because all the East became non-Chalcedonian by that time. This is 518. So uh, Justin asked Rome, okay, what do you guys want? Another blank check. What do you guys want us to do to reconcile you? Rome said, get everyone to sign this document, which is, that even if they had people who died as Chalcedonians in the time that they weren't in communion with us, they have to remove the names of those people from the diptychs. They can't, they can't uh, commemorate them in the liturgy anymore. Just because they died not in communion with Rome. They were still Chalcedonian. That's the only reason. They were not in communion with Rome when they died. Mm. And the Eastern Chalcedonians signed we didn't sign. That's why we were in exile. Severus went to Egypt because of that. Mm. He didn't sign. So the, they signed it. And so my question is, what does she think about it? Just general. I'm not trying to, like, you know, give her a loaded question. Just want to yeah, know yeah. what she thinks okay. about it. Yeah. All right. You'll have to send me that uh, in a text message. Uh, sure. The Labellus. What's it called? Labellus of Hormistus. Pope Hormistus. Okay. Okay, yeah. sweet. 
All right. Thank you, Daniel. I'll try to get you, soon, brother. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.